0: Hey everyone. This is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that this book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God is saying to our lives, Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you've fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of Daniel, and today's episode is Daniel chapter 3, the gold statue. All right, so this chapter, from what I have studied could possibly be happening 20 years after chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and kind of rocks his world. Daniel is very truthful and honest with him that his kingdom would one day fall and another kingdom is coming to rise to power. And then this would happen several more times through history. And we've seen that play out. So 20 years later, we start off this chapter and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar creates a gold statue, and it's basically the height of a 10-story building. Now, what has been really fascinating to me is that a French expedition in the 19th century found a mound where they think the Plains of Dora was located. And they found, they discovered a huge base that they excavated and believed that it could possibly be the base to this statue. This... Um, is a gold statue, so we can't go further without stating the obvious is that in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And so I can't help but think that this megalomaniac, after 20 years of success, thought, you know what? Forget that dream. I'll build a statue, and I'll let the world know no one's coming against me. And it was gold-plated, and we see that Nebuchadnezzar's pride and arrogance had just grown since we last visited with him. I also uh, pictured always growing up as a child, I pictured the statue to be a statue of him. But as I started digging into this chapter and really understand the culture of the day, most scholars believe that this was just one of the many gods of Babylon, that this statue actually represented Babylon, the nation, the empire, more than King Nebuchadnezzar. And really, This was a common practice in that day. Just like people groups live within boundaries of territory, it was a belief in the ancient world that each territory had their own ancient God that had dominion over that territory. Dr. Michael Heiser says that these are real divine beings that people assign names to according to what they observed and their myths of their culture. And so what we see today is that, or what we believe today is that there were real fallen angel entities behind the gods that these pagan people worshipped. So some people said that this could have been the god Marduk. He was a local god and he rose to uh, become the chief god of Babylon during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's also known as Venus in Greek culture. And King Nebuchadnezzar identifies himself as Venus. And we see a lot about Marduk in a satire written in Isaiah 14 12. It's in, I mean, fourteen two. I'm sorry. It's really interesting. I encourage you to go. We don't have time today to read through it, but I encourage you on your own go read through Isaiah 14. And it is a satire of Marduk, and Marduk represents Babylon. Other um, scholars believe that this is. A statue of Marduk's son, Nebo. This is where King Nebuchadnezzar got his name. He's the god of art and writing, but in this culture, he is believed to be Marduk's son, and then still others are wondering if this is an obelisk, because those of you that the height and the width stood out to you, this was a very tall, thin um, statue of something which many people believe could have been that obelisk, but What we do know is that whatever it was, it represented the strength and power of Babylon, the great, and King Nebuchadnezzar was building nationalism. Now, who did King Nebuchadnezzar invite? I laugh every time I read it or heard somebody teach on it because he basically invited everyone. The who's who of the kingdom, he wanted everyone there. And again, I just want to stress that this was not some crazy foreign idea for everyone to gather and bow before an idol that would possibly represent a god of their their chosen territory. This was something very common. And it says in verse 4, When there a herald was proclaimed, every nation... And language was under the command, when you hear the sound of, I'm inserting every instrument known to mankind, you must fall down and worship the statue. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into a furnace. Now, this has always been a crazy story to me about people throwing, being thrown into a furnace. But as crazy as it sounds, this was also common practice. They had huge furnaces back in this day. This is what they would use to kiln the bricks. Also, this is where they would melt metals for their idols. And so this was not something uncommon, and it was often used as punishment because it was there and available in an easy way to threaten people and get them to be subservient to your role. Now, in verse 8, it says, some Chaldeans began to accuse the Jews. So basically, some Chaldeans tattled on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you remember from previous chapters, the Chaldeans were the top of the government offices, and... As we know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel all got promoted, even probably above them. And so there could have been an extreme amount of jealousy and resentment because these boys ended up 10 times more wise than them and got all the promotions that they were working so hard to get. When you're standing for God, I promise you people are going to come against you. And sometimes it's going to be people in your own circles, people in the church, Um, And people in your community, this is all rooted in jealousy, and I can just tell you that it is coming. But as we see in the story, God is with his people who walk in obedience. Now, I wanted to know about the rest of the Jews. Were they bowing? It doesn't really say anything about them. Or were they standing, but these Chaldeans were just so obsessed with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they were the only ones that got in trouble. Um, Human nature um, and the fact that we know that Israel already was overtaken by Babylon because of their idolatry, Um, human nature kind of tells us that we can lean on the side that they were bowing. They had grown accustomed to the lifestyle that they were given in Babylon. And something that newly said while we were talking this out, he's like, you know, I I could see a scenario where they even thought, look how God has blessed us. Because when they got to Babylon, they really had a great life. They weren't enslaved and having to do a lot of horrible things that we have read in other cultures that have taken slaves. So... This also left me to ask the question and imagine this day happening. Would I have bowed? I know when I was a a young girl is when the Columbine shootings happened and there was a a famous story going around about one of the boys that held a girl, um, I believe, at gunpoint and asked if she was a Christian. And I remember at that time that story rocked my world and I really thought, of course, I am not ashamed to say that I'm a Christian, but would I have rationalized lying? You know, like, oh, I can do so much more for the kingdom if I just tell this crazy boy what he wants to hear. My life will be saved, and then I can do more for the kingdom. I don't know. I I don't know if just a holy... Boldness comes over you in those situations, but it's just something I've been thinking about. Would I have bowed? Would I have looked around and thought, wow, this is too hard to stand alone? All my friends, all my neighbors are bowing. Let me just go along with this, even though I know it's in my heart. I don't know. It's just something that kind of shakes me, and I've been praying ever since Lord, give me boldness on that day if it ever is to come. Another question that a lot of you are asking is, where was Daniel during all of this? Now, I just personally, this is my my thought process, is that we see no sign of him being one that cowards down um, in fear and that compromises. And so some scholars believe that the position that he holds, it's very likely that he could have been out of town doing work for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it, the Bible doesn't say, but we are not going to assume that he was one bowing. So Nebuchadnezzar calls these these boys uh, to him in a furious rage because now he knows that these three guys did not bow. But did y'all notice when you were reading that he gives them an extra warning? This is not something typical of world rulers in this day, especially ones that will be mad enough to throw in a furnace if you don't go their way, but he gives them an extra warning. It's like he really liked and trusted these guys, or maybe he really deep down was fearful of their God Who knows? But he gives them an extra warning. And he even asked them, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? There it is. Eventually, people's hearts will be exposed. His pride has not ever allowed him to submit to the Most High, even though he saw miraculous things from the Lord. He is just thinking about his own power and how he can attain more and how he can stop the destiny of this dream. And so this is why I believe that the gold God was built to begin with. It's to display Nebuchadnezzar's power, glory, and his authority. He was forcing um, things to change from the, the biblical prophecy. Now, in verses 16 through 18, their response is supernatural Holy Spirit boldness. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, as if you know who we are and you knew already that we are not going to bow to a false god. They go on to say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the god we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods and worship the gold image that you have set up. Now, these guys didn't just wake up one day and have this boldness grab them. They had been practicing obedience for their entire life, it seems. But we definitely see that through the course of two decades, they have been practicing obedience. Their faithfulness in the small things prepared them. To stand firm when things got hard. And the same can be true going the opposite way. When we compromise on little things, that will eventually lead us to compromise on the big things. So we need to practice obedience and faithfulness. It made me ask, and I encourage you to ask you, what are things in your life? what are things in my life that we are compromising um, from? This is something that we can ask God and the Holy Spirit will reveal it to us. And we need now more than ever before to start living a life pleasing to God, practicing obedience, because I promise you times are coming where we won't have the freedoms that we have today. Now their boldness, filled Nebuchadnezzar with rage. He wanted that furnace seven times hotter than it had been. He wanted the strongest soldiers to tie them up. And it says that the heat ended up killing the soldiers. Something that um, Alice and my small group pointed out that stuck out to her, and she's been studying the Bible for decades, is that God was with them even before they went into the furnace. They were able to withstand the heat that killed all the soldiers, but yet they... Did not die even then. He was with them from the beginning. And we know the rest of the story by heart. There was another in the fire. They were walking around unbound. Their ties had, their bounds had um, loosened and were gone. And they did not even come out smelling like smoke. I want to talk to you in closing about this walking in the fire. This is what really, really stuck out to me in this chapter. In Isaiah chapter 1, God was speaking to his chosen people in verses 25 and 26. He says, "'I will turn my hand against you and burn away your dross completely. I will remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in the days of old, your rulers as the beginning.'" afterwards you will be called the city of righteousness the faithful city god is wanting to restore his children in his city and he's saying before he needs to do he does that he's got to burn away their dross and remove all their impurities Well, a great site to go to if you ever have questions, because Google is not your friend. Google can land you on some sort of new age false teaching um, website, so you have to be careful. But godquestions.org is a really safe place to get a biblically-based answer. And they said that dross is the waste materials that are separated from metals when they're purified by heat. The intense heat causes the dross or the impurities to separate from the ore, rise to the top, where it forms a scum and can be extracted. And the Bible um, gives us a picture. They're saying that dross is, or the Bible gives us a picture of dross being impurities in our life. The Word of God is excel- in itself flawless and without impurity, and it is described. As gold refined seven times—that's the number of completion. The word of God is perfect, but it also says in His word that He will judge and remove the wicked like dross. He's going to remove the liquid, li- the wicked. Excuse me, by putting them under fire, they rise to the top and form a scum, and then He disposes of them. But it also says that He will refine His people by removing the dross or the scum in us. This spiritual process of refining it comes in form of discipline, testing, and trials. We all have unhealthy habits and worldviews in our lives that need to be removed, and God will put us in the fire to remove those impurities. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that you... Um, I'm sorry, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So this fire that God puts us through makes us more like him. It burns away anything that has bound us up. It burns away any form of arrogance, pride, selfishness, any other sins that you can name. The purpose of this is that we become a pure vessel And we are his people who give him glory so that the world can know and see and come to know them for themselves. So many times we say bound in our sin because we choose to live in shame and we don't really truly believe of uh, the work that Christ did on the cross. The message and illustration here is that our mess ups get burnt up and they disappear, that we are actually transformed. Like we go into the fire as worms and caterpillars, and we come out as monarch butterflies. We live and move and have our being in Christ. When the world sees us, they see a powerful King and hope they don't see our past. But here's the thing. Even though our past is burned up and disappear, We still know it exists and we cannot keep it secret. We cannot keep it hidden. God uses our testimony of our past as a weapon to bring people to him. We have to tell our story. We can't live in shame of it. And I promise you, the first time you tell it, the second time, more and more that shame falls off and you see that others will find freedom through it. It gives them a picture of what new creation looks like and gives them hope that, hey, you know what? They weren't too far from where I'm at, and look where they are now. I want some of that. And this is the very reason that the enemy will whisper in your ear to keep you quiet, to keep you paralyzed, because he knows how powerful this tool is. Guys, the fire's not fun, but look what happens on the other side. In verses 28 of our chapter, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him and to file the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any gods except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon no other god can save this way he is preaching the gospel to his empire and he's not even saved the god our god then hands out promotions to these three once again saying yes to god guys is dangerous it leads us to the fire but my goodness it's worth it all to be honest I didn't even know what I was saying yes to when I started this journey of Bible nerds, and after saying yes, it felt like not only I was in the furnace, but it had been heated seven times more than amount with the warfare that my husband and I faced. Um, I told friends close to me that as I look back on some of the most painful times in ministry. It really does have a sweet, special place in my heart. God was so close and so good. He was right there in the fire with us. We could hear him almost every day in a clear voice, and it was so tender and so sweet. I wouldn't trade that part of my life because now I know the tender love of a father more deeply than I ever could understand it before. He not only ministered to me, but he removed a lot of junk, a lot of scum that had built up in my life. And I needed it to go. I needed to be transformed. And I am transformed because of it. Um, And then coming out of this season, God positioned us in the lives of other people who teamed up with us to become kingdom builders. These people have firm foundations and knowledge of scripture and the text and are motivated and driven and are kingdom-minded, and these people are giants in the faith. And so we look back and say it was all worth it. And friends, we can look around and see the world is changing rapidly. And I, I tell you today that you have to choose a side. You can't be on the fence putting a foot in the world and putting a foot into your faith. We have to be completely sold out for God these things that the world offers, just temporal anyway, we can be we can stand firm and we can be forged by fire. To me, it's a simple decision and it's the only way to live. Well, honestly, this was a fantastic chapter and it's only getting better. I do want to ask you um, something that if you are listening in and this is blessing you, you can do a few things to help us out. Well, this is your part of Bible Nerds. So tell us. Tell us when you have questions. Tell us when things have spoken to you. Tell us how this ministry is affecting you. And this actually encourages us to produce and create more things. Also, you can invite your friends to the Facebook group. But most importantly, you can rate our podcast and share it. We want this to be in the hands of people who are searching for God in this uncertain world. There's a lot of anxiety and worry when people don't have Christ as their firm foundation. And we want them to discover Christ and we want them to be able to be transformed by the Word. So if we can get this into their hands, it's a win for everybody. I thank you for joining us today and as always, happy reading.